0: Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On Primetime Politics tonight, crossing the floor. Fredericton MP Jenica Atwin leaves the Green Party to join the Liberals. After a sometimes public feud, are the Greens facing a unity crisis with an election in the wings? I'll speak with Green Party leader Annemie Paul. A veteran Liberal MP calls on his own government to set out a clear plan for reopening the Canada-US border and calls for loosening restrictions now. I'll speak with Wayne Easter about his call for action. And The Prime Minister arrives in England for the G7 summit and an agenda focused on the pandemic, economic recovery, China and climate change. What are the Canadian objectives and challenges? The Senator, a longtime summit diplomat, sets the scene for us. And our panel of party commentators weighs in on the key stories of the day. But we'll begin tonight with a defection in the House of Commons. Green Party MP Jenica Atwin, who won the seat in Fredericton for the party in the last election in 2019, a breakthrough for the party in Atlantic Canada, has crossed the floor to the Liberals. That leaves the party with just two MPs in the House now for the Greens. Atwin made the decision to dump the Greens after uh, an ongoing public battle in which she openly challenged party leader Annamie Paul's position on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict.
1: It's a good day. I think this is um, a positive thing for my community. And I, uh, you know, the past month I've been at a crossroads. Um, It's been, in a word, distracting. Um, And so I'm going where I can do my best work on behalf of my community and for the people that I care so deeply about.
0: And I am joined now by Green Party leader Annamie Paul. Uh, Ms. Paul, good to see you again and thank you for taking time to speak with me tonight. What did you know about Jenna uh, Jenna Catwin's plans to to leave the Green Party? Had you had any conversations with her? Did you know that she was unhappy and about to make this move?
2: Uh, No, I did not know that she was planning to. I I learned uh, just shortly before her news conference, uh, not not through her or her office, but uh, through um, uh, part of staff.
0: How do you feel about that?
2: It's disappointing to lose a, a member. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's something that uh, is, is a loss. And uh, while it is certainly her decision to make, it's disappointing. I'm sure that uh, there will be members of the, the Green Party out in Fredericton who worked really hard to get the first Green MP elected uh, out in the uh, Atlantic provinces. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be tough for them, too. Uh, I wish that uh, that we'd had the opportunity to, to speak about it in advance uh, so that I could have um, given her the reasons that I think she's a better fit for our party. But she said it was a personal decision, and I accept that.
0: She, she did also say that uh, your public statements about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and she responded to them in social media at the time, uh, did play a role in her decision to leave the party, and she said she wanted to work in what she described as a more supportive and collaborative environment. What do you take that to mean and what responsibility do you think you have uh, for her decision to quit the Greens?
2: Uh, well, first, that's not what I heard at all. And of course, I watched the press conference. Um, I have not made any any public statements uh, with respect to, and when I say public, I mean in terms of, of interviews uh, with respect to uh, the, the bombings that occurred uh, not too long ago in Israel and Palestine uh, I have put out as the leader of the party two two statements, two written statements uh, with respect to, uh, with respect to that, and more importantly, Ms Adwin said today during the press conference on more than one occasion when she was asked directly about me that uh, this was not a reflection on me or my leadership, and that I did not play any role uh, in her decision, uh, which she said it was a personal one that uh, she had taken, and she shared the reasons during her press conference so I take her at her word when she says that and uh, our relationship has been uh, one of, of, of very involved colleagues up until very recently. We, we had an event together just as recently as, as last month. We co-hosted an event on mental health. Uh, we've done quite a lot of work together in a very short period of time so uh, I don't have any reason to, to doubt her, and I don't think anyone else uh, has any reason not to take her at her word.
0: So what do you think she means when she says she wants to work in a more supportive and collaborative environment? Who would she be talking about?
2: Well, I can't. I think that's an excellent question to ask her. I, I can't, uh, I, can't uh, I can't, I can't, rather, I, of course I can guess, but I'm not going to try to guess at what she means, uh, means by that. I think it's always better to ask the person uh, what they what they mean um, I've been in this role for about six or seven months now, and certainly uh, you will have heard me say many times Peter, in my my interviews and in my press conferences that what we are seeking is a less uh, partisan, more collaborative more cooperative approach to politics uh, and a culture that is is more welcoming both within our party uh, and within politics in general so I've been working really hard to do my part to try to create that, and uh, I will always accept that there is more work to to be done. Uh, but I think that uh, I think that that work is being done, and as I said. Uh, you know when jenica gave her her reasons uh, they, they weren 't linked to uh, they weren 't linked to me in
3: particular
0: okay but the, the timing is interesting. Uh, the executive committee of your party chose not to renew the contract of one of your top advisors, Noah Zatzman, after he expressed solidarity for Israel and accused unspecified green MPs of Anti-Semitism. Two-party executives have announced they are uh, stepping down early. Uh, All of this, as Greens could be facing an election campaign soon, like every other political party. Uh, Is there a serious unity problem in your party right now, and how will you deal with
2: it? Well, I think uh, Peter, that you're tying things together that uh, don't don't uh, that aren't linked. Uh, In terms of our federal council, we have federal council elections every year uh, around this time. Uh, more than half of our our federal council members are always uh, renewed. Uh, we had a number of people on uh, one year terms. We had another people who came in with specific mandates uh, and and have already expressed that they plan to leave once uh, once that work was done. Uh, so you know this is just a normal renewal that all political uh, parties have um, but, but are you saying mr mr zatzman's
0: mr Zaspin's comments on social oh, no, media no,
2: I, I was just running through running through the right. list. there were three uh, items one was the, okay, council. Yeah, uh, uh, the next one was the next one was um, the next one was um, um, uh, there was the council uh, there was um, uh, 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 also okay. there was a third one and i've, I've lost the i 've lost the train of thought only only to the, and then the is that one. Uh, just in terms of what she told us today, and again, I haven't heard any of this uh, firsthand. Uh, but uh, Minister LeBlanc and Ms. Atwin said that this is a discussion that had been going on for uh, many weeks; uh, that it um, it predated the last uh, the last couple of weeks when when you know the, okay. the 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 activities that you mentioned had happened. So I would just encourage people again. I mean, we don't want division where we don't need to have it. Ms. Atwin has wished the party well, wished me well, uh, said that she hopes that we remain uh, friends. And so I, I, I believe her. Uh, that's uh, certainly how I'm going to approach this. And I, I don't see any reason not to take her at her word.
0: All right. Annemie Paul, uh, thanks for your time tonight. Appreciate it.
2: Thank you very much.
0: A veteran Liberal MP is calling on his own government to lay out a clear plan for reopening the Canada-U.S. border. The issue is expected to be discussed between the Prime Minister and U.S. President Joe Biden at the G7 Summit in England on Friday. PEI MP Wayne Easter is the co-chair of the Canada-U.S. Interparliamentary Group. He joined his U.S. counterpart, New York Congressman Brian Higgins, for a panel discussion today hosted by the Tourism Association of Canada.
4: You are fully vaccinated. If you're fully vaccinated, whether it's 7% of your population or 45% of your population, you pose a very small risk of getting COVID or giving COVID. And therefore, those individuals who have been fully vaccinated on both sides of the border should be able to cross that border.
0: And Liberal MP Wayne Easter joins me now from beautiful Hunter River, Prince Edward Island. That's right at the intersection of Highways 2 and 13. And Mr. Easter, good to see you again. Thanks for being with me. Good to be,
3: and good to be here in Outer River.
0: Look, so Congressman Higgins has been pushing for the border to reopen for some time now. You've also uh, joined in, calling for the easing of more restrictions at the border. Do you support his call to allow anyone now who's been fully vaccinated, Canadian or American, to be allowed free movement across the border?
3: Uh, Well, yes, yes, I do, to to the greatest extent. Uh, uh, Look, if uh, vaccinations are supposed to, uh, if they're supposed to do... uh, Uh, what's been suggested to us, uh, then they should be uh, a safe way uh, for people to be able to travel protect themselves uh, and the public uh, from further COVID uh, transmissions.
0: The government will be relaxing uh, some measures next month, early next month, to allow fully vaccinated Canadians to skip the hotel quarantine when they return to Canada. So uh, does that go uh, far enough, uh, in your view, in relaxing uh, the restrictions? I I gather not, based on what you've just said.
3: Uh, No, it doesn't. Look, let me give you an example. You know Prince Edward Island well. Uh, There's a lot of Americans come here. Uh, they have seasonal residences here. They come from four to, uh, to six months a year. Uh, and uh, I've talked to many of them. They're doubly vaccinated. They're willing to come here and follow the local rules. If that means a 10-day or a two-week quarantine, then they're willing to do it. They have people that will bring them groceries. They'll follow the rules. Doesn't it make common sense for them to be able to come, come to their seasonal residence, do some renovations on their property? buy groceries in the local community, uh, and do their part for adding the economy, uh, meet their relatives and their friends. That, to me, is common sense, and it should meet uh, the the health protocols, I would think. Okay,
0: I mean, I mean the measures taken at the border um, were, were uh, you know, by your government, were implemented and maintained, in large part due to what Canadians were seeing in the United States, that rapid spread of infections across the U.S. Uh, Are you suggesting that was the wrong approach, that we went too far here in this country?
3: No, no, not not at all. Look, in the beginning, there was a lot of danger on the American side. Uh, Over the last uh, six months, uh, the Americans have, uh, in fact, they surpassed us. We're now caught up again. Uh, But they surpassed us in terms of getting the vaccinations out, getting them into arms, uh, and uh, doing pretty good uh, health protocols. Uh, so we're in a relatively equal level in terms of vaccinations now. Uh, so we really need to be in a position where we can start to relax the rules. Uh, we, we have to do what we have to do safely. Yeah. Uh, my view is you need to, the government of Canada needs to lay out its plan with specifics, not going to say, oh, in a few days or another month. You need specifics under what conditions will the border open up and open up to all people uh, that are vaccinated. That's what needs to be laid
0: out. You've not been afraid to speak your mind before. Are you saying saying here that your government's not handled this? uh, The the border measure's fine, uh, but um, are you sort of saying enough already? It's time now for, for you to tell us precisely when it is we can get back to something closer to normal.
3: Uh, I am saying uh, we need to be moving back uh, closer to normal as rapidly as possible uh, as, and in a way that it is, uh, it's safe, gets our economy rolling. But I will outline a real complication for the government of Canada. Look, yeah. let's be honest. I think I know what you're going to say Canada <laughs> at the moment. The, the premiers in the, the province is operating is operating like 13 countries in one. Uh, i think some lessons learned from this pandemic is we do need some national programs in this place uh sometimes with the federal mostly with the federal government in charge the prime minister is under pressure uh, from doug ford and others saying no tighten up the border tighten it up even further you can't tighten it up further than it already is it was as tight as it could get now is the time uh, to to start to relax uh, things safely so it's right. complicated but Let's get on with it and get it done.
0: All right, Wayne Easter, uh, always good to talk to you. Thanks for your time tonight. Uh, joining us, uh, as I said, once again from Hunter River PEI. Uh, good to see you again. Take care.
3: Take care. Bye bye.
0: The Prime Minister has arrived in Cornwall, England for the G7 summit. It's Justin Trudeau's first trip outside of Canada in more than a year because of the pandemic, and the first G7 summit for U.S. President Joe Biden. On the agenda, international tax reform, climate change, China and the strategy for a global pandemic recovery, including the distribution of vaccines and reopening international travel. but what 's the prime minister 's agenda? What should we be watching for and what challenges will be facing Justin Trudeau in his first gathering of G7 leaders in two years? Senator Peter Beam is the chair of the Senate Foreign Affairs Committee and is a former diplomat and Sherpa, whose job it was uh, to prepare the current Prime minister and former Prime Minister Stephen Harper ahead of International summits. Uh, Senator Beam, good to see you. Thanks for being here and uh, giving us some of your time tonight. Thank you, Peter. Let's start with the timing of this summit. How important is this gathering, given the, the vulnerabilities that have been exposed by the many shocks uh, that we've seen during the pandemic over the past 18 months, and along with that, conflicts with China and more?
4: I think it's a very important summit, and it comes at a, at a significant time. Obviously, there is the pandemic. Leaders were not able to meet last year under the, under the U.S. Presidency because of the pandemic and they were not able to meet in person. So this is the first in-person meeting. There will be new people there, not just Mr. Biden who will draw a lot of attention, but uh, a new Prime Minister of Japan, a new Prime Minister of Italy, new uh, leaders from the European Union, and a few other actors as well. Uh, the stakes are very high. Uh, there's the economic downturn to worry about, which, of course, is related to the pandemic. Uh, there are flashpoints uh, in the, in the world uh, that need discussing. Uh, and as well, for Mr. Biden, a lot is riding on this because he has a NATO summit afterwards. He has an European Union summit after that. And then he ends his trip to Europe with a meeting with President Putin in Geneva. So. This is a very important event.
0: What are the key priorities for Canada and the Prime Minister at this summit?
4: Well, the Prime Minister comes in with a, a certain amount of experience he's uh, He's number two in the longevity rankings after Angela Merkel, so he will have been through uh, many of these negotiations before, but nothing quite like this one in in the sense that so much is riding on how to deal with the pandemic, how to secure health for the world, not just for the G7 countries themselves, and also how to build back the economies. I think uh, also, uh, when we're speaking of prime ministers, Prime Minister Johnson has a lot riding on this as well, uh, because it's the first time that the UK is hosting while not being in the European Union, and of course there is the big climate change summit coming later in the year. So everybody has, uh, has high stakes in this one.
0: Okay, let's talk about uh, one of the things that Boris Boris Johnson uh, wants to put forward, of course, and that is, uh, you know, uh, along with Joe Biden, pressing for a new coalition of democratic nations that would include the G7, along with India, Australia, and South Korea, to stand up to China. Canada has its own uh, well-known problems with the Chinese regime. So how do you expect Justin Trudeau to respond to an invitation to join a stand-up-against-China coalition?
4: Well, I wouldn't call it a stand-up against China coalition. I think it's a democracy coalition. China is one of the challenges. There are a few other countries where there has been some, uh, shall we say, challenges and uh, to democracy and backsliding on democracy. But certainly China will be a subject of uh, great discussion. And in the six summits where I served uh, two prime ministers, uh, China was always on the agenda. Uh, I think it's uh, more of an acute and robust discussion that will be uh, offered this time around. And obviously, Canada has a lot riding on that because of our particular, particularly difficult situation with China at the moment. But in a way, I think the pump has been primed with the declaration against arbitrary detention, which was a Canadian uh, initiative. And both the G7 and other countries supported that. Uh, there will be uh, questions about China's interest in the South China Sea, uh, Taiwan, democracy, and Hong Kong. So the China file is a very rich one for leaders to discuss.
0: Uh, we know that Joe Biden is, is uh, showing up at this summit, coming to the summit and, and, and hoping to uh, sent a message to the world that the U.S. is back and wants to take a leadership role. And one of the things he's done right out of the gate is announced that the U.S. will donate 500 million doses of vaccine to the lowest income nations. Lots of uh, pressure in this country uh, on Canada to donate uh, vaccines as well, rather than pushing to try and fully vaccinate all Canadians before doing that. What what kind of pressure could that put on the prime minister of this country, uh, having Joe Biden say, look, uh, we're making this big donation of vaccines to uh, countries that need them?
4: Well, on the pandemic and on vaccination, uh, the leaders will have a, a discussion about the COVAX facility and how that is working, how that is being administered uh, by the World Health Organization, how the World Health Organization uh, can be can be enhanced and can be supported. Uh, I think uh, the government has already made some statements about what to do with excess uh, vaccine. As I understand it, the Canadian contribution to COVAX is just over half a billion dollars. So these are not... Insignificant promises and uh, and amounts. I suspect uh, the urging will be to uh, to do more, uh, and the G7 has proven in the past, for example, in establishing the Global Fund against uh, HIV/AIDS and other diseases, that it can do that and it can mobilize uh, funding. And of course, this is where the international financial institutions also come into the into the picture. So um, I, I suspect there will be a good discussion on that, much as happened already with the G7 health ministers meeting, the G7 foreign ministers, and importantly, the G7 international development ministers Mm in terms of figuring out how to vaccinate uh, the developing world as well.
0: All right. Senator Peter Beam, always great to get your perspective. Uh, Thanks so much for your time tonight. Appreciate it.
4: Thank you very much, Peter.
0: Well, let's bring in our panel of uh, political commentators now. Susan Smith is a Liberal commentator. Tim Powers is a Conservative commentator. And Tom Parkin is an NDP commentator. Susan, let me start with you with the defection of uh, Jenica Atwin today, leaving the uh, Green Party for uh, the Liberal Party. How important is this pickup for the Liberals? Liberals, especially if we think a federal election may be just a few months away?
1: Well, I think it shows some momentum for the Liberal Party. When an MP is disgruntled with her part, his or her party, they have the choice of where they want to go if they're going to cross, cross the floor or cross to another party. And Jenica Atwin, who was viewed as a rising star in the Green Party, has decided to join the Liberal Party. She's obviously decided that that makes the best hopes for her Liberal prospects, that that best aligns with her climate action and her mental health and her mental health advocacy and other things and that the Liberals' best representative, the best chance for Fredericton. So I think that's good news, and it's a good sign for the Liberals.
0: Tim, how do you see this? Well, it's not good news for the
5: Green Party. Uh, I think, as always seems to be the case, as they get closer to an election, they, they seem to have a big outbreak of infighting. So losing an MP, their first MP in Atlantic Canada, is not good. Sure today it's beneficial for the Liberals. That Fredericton seat, as we all know, is a, is a tough one. It's gone back and forth over the last couple of years, a couple of elections between the Conservatives and the Liberals, and then was taken by uh, by Miss Atwin. So it'll be interesting to see if she can hold that. Uh, but it, it, it's a it's a good day for the, the Liberal Party when they get a get a new MP, uh, particularly as we're apparently
6: close
0: to an election. Year. Tom, uh, how do you see this defection and what it means?
6: Well, I think, uh, I, I see it as a very cynical move, unfortunately, and it's the kind of thing that breeds cynicism amongst voters. And, and I think we deserve a whole lot better than that. The people of Fredericton voted for somebody who stood with the Green Party. I presume because they didn't like massive uh, subsidies to fossil fuel industry, and they didn't like Mr. Trudeau uh, buying a pipeline to, uh, for tar sands oil. and And yet here's their MP that they voted for in good faith, crossing over to exactly the party that she used to oppose. To me that's uh, wrong, uh, it's not democratic, it shouldn't have happened, and it's an offence both to the voters and, and, uh, of that riding and uh, to the, the parliament itself, which is supposed to represent the people as they vote. I know they vote yeah. for individuals, we see a name on the ballot, but come on, we all know in practicality... People vote for the candidate of the party of okay. the choice.
0: I mean, so su- I, I don't think it's a good day, Peter. All right. Uh, so, you know, I, uh, I, Susan, let Susan let. Why don't you jump back in? But also in no, the context I, of I, what, what does it mean for what does it mean for? Uh, you know, look, the, the party's just gone through, well, not just, but recently, it's, it's got a new leader in Annamie Paul. Uh, and if we've got an election, we're going to talk more about that uh, coming up in the not-too-distant future. How, how damaging is this for the leadership of Annamie Paul, or is this something she can recover from fairly easily?
1: Well, I will tackle that, but it's also, I think, the, to Tom's point, I saw NDP MPs tweeting saying she's a great MP, it's too bad she didn't join us. So I'm not sure how upset Tom would have been had she joined the NDP today. But uh, is it damaging for enemy, Paul? Yes. Uh, are people following the machinations of the Green Party at day by day at the present juncture? No. Um, it, can she recover from it? I, I, I don't know. I don't think she's, as a new leader, she's been able to grab a hold of the party. She doesn't have a massive presence, uh, certainly in Ottawa, and, and especially not so much in Ottawa, I would say beyond the the uh, country there's the challenge that Elizabeth May is still there and very present and I think probably if you ask people very quickly in a poll is Elizabeth who's the leader of the Green Party they'd still say Elizabeth May so that's not helpful to enemy Paul as she tries to set her own mark on the party disagreements there seem to be many and that's not a good sign for her leadership let
0: me hear you on that Tim you know, and, and the challenge. you know what, is, what, what what new challenges does this now present for enemy Paul?
5: Well, to also put a bit of an Atlantic lens on it, too. I mean, the Greens have been doing better in Atlantic Canada. As you know, they were the opposition or still are the opposition in Prince Edward Island. I think, if I recall correctly, they have three seats in the provincial legislature in New Brunswick. Um, you know, so Anime Paul should be finding ways to work with these Atlantic Greens, who I think have different views than some of the West Coast Greens. Uh, so it's not helpful to her. I wonder how that regional dynamic will play out for uh, Jenna Atwin's re-election chances, because uh, the New Brunswick Green leader certainly is well known. Uh, the, uh, and, and well-liked in New Brunswick. Um, he hasn't been uh, applauding uh, Jen Atkins' right. move there. So er, her re-election prospects, she may think, are better going to the Liberals. But as I say, Fredericton's been a contested seat, and the Greens in Atlantic Canada have some organizing capacity and the ability to disrupt, if not find a new candidate, who could challenge her for her re-election uh, potential.
0: Uh, Tom, let me, let me pivot here. Uh, we, you know, we've, uh, The House of Commons is going to wind down in the next uh, 10 days or so. Uh, liberals and Conservatives are locked in this procedural battle in the House now as the government tries to push through key bills before the recess. Liberals and Conservatives blaming each other here for parliamentary delays, filibusters at committees. Are we seeing the stage being set here for the narrative that Justin Trudeau wants uh, to be able to go to the Governor General on his own uh, when we get a Governor General and say, look, uh, this is a Parliament that no longer works, that's why I need to go to the people to get a new mandate and hopefully a majority government
6: i'm not sure if we have a governor general or not these days but theoretically anyway peter um i I think that is what is being told to us and there's a certain amount of hypocrisy of course on the liberal side because they themselves are part are a big part of the filibustering that's going on and they also held back a number of very important bills uh to kind of uh, you know till the end rather than bringing them up and giving them the time so the, I think we're, we're watching the narrative being developed by Mr. Trudeau. I think Mr. O'Toole has foolishly fallen into it by being obstinate and, and uh, providing the evidence to Canadians that there's at least a re, you know some resonance to this, some truth to this. Um, and if I was Mr. O'Toole, I mean, uh, you know, he, he's going to lose seats at the level that he's at right now. And uh, everything that we've been going through politically for the last number of months, I, I don't see it changing for him. Right. So I think he's made another misplay. Uh, we'll see, but the, the odds, I think, are very good that the House is going ri- to rise and uh, we're going to see an election okay. call,
0: you know, around Labor Day. Yeah, okay. Uh, Susan, what, what are we seeing here? As I mean, uh, is this, you know, if you're a Liberal and you want an election, you think the timing's right for an election, uh, is this, uh, you know, standoff in Parliament or ongoing, uh, you know, procedural fight in Parliament exactly what you're looking for to be able to go to the Canadian people?
1: it's helpful i think because if you know parliament either has to work or has, it doesn't have to work and if the prime minister and the folks around the prime minister think that he leaves are right to go to the polls this fall i don't think it would be before that I, I put election day on the 25th of october actually because of MP pensions too for those elected in 2015 but you know i think going this fall and and showing that parliament is working the prime minister could argue he has a, he could request a mandate to implement the economic recovery. that's the, He could argue that uh, in addition to arguing that there's dysfunction within parliament. But if vaccines are going into arms, which they are, 7.1 mil- million doses of Moderna coming next week, um, if schools get to be reopened at the local levels, if the economy starts to reopen, the borders reopen, people are traveling again and feeling better, uh, it would be a good okay. opportunity for
0: the. So, Tim, let me finish with you. Is the die being cast here for a uh, fall vote?
5: It has nothing to do with parliamentary work functions or nothing, or function or dysfunction. Peter, it has everything to do with the Delta variant. If the Delta variant is, is held off and there is no fourth wave, I'd, I'd venture uh, that we will be heading to the polls sometime, between or election will be called sometime after the middle of August, and we will be voting in September or uh, or October, depending on, on when that happens. So. I'd be very surprised, as I say, at the Delta variants controlling the tune here. Nothing else.
0: All right. So the election's all about the Delta Dawn, not uh, the fights in the House of Commons. All right. Uh, Thank you all. Thank you all for being here. And we'll talk again soon. Take care, everyone. Thank you. Thanks, Peter. That's all for this edition of Primetime Politics. I'm Peter Van Dusen from all of us here at CPAC. Thanks for watching, and I'll see you again next time.